The Adam Crowley Show. Axon. 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 Oh, no. Oh, it's on the nipple. Axon. 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 He went from the bottom. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. I've thought about it. And no neck Barry Trotz can just go to hell. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. In 2016, Ole Mata had his head bashed in by Brooks Orpik. Orpik was suspended, but it was away from the play. It was absolute Bush League nonsense. Last year, Ovechkin slashed Crosby and Niskin and finished the job by treating Sid's head like a friggin' piñata. This year, Brian Dumoulin takes a shoulder to the dome from Tom Wilson, Jake Gensel takes a knee-to-knee hit from Matt Niskin, and, and I gots to think that no-neck Barry Trotz is telling his boys, eh, break what you can break, hurt who you can hurt. That might not be the case, but I think it is. Ryan Reeves wouldn't do anything, so let's not talk about that. Tom Wilson isn't scared of anybody. He's a damn alien. He's just out there trying to hurt people. That's how you're still on the first line, despite only tallying 35 points. How is that even possible to have that much talent around you, and all you can do is muster 35 points? Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, and Tom Wilson? What? 35 points? He's supposed to maim people. That's it. That's the job description. That's why he's on that top line. The dude's got 11 points in 49 career playoff games. He's a hack. He's a scrub. He is everything that's wrong with this sport. I said coming into the series that the Capitals hadn't learned anything. They won against Columbus, sure, but they were still blowing leads. They also haven't learned because they continued to put that punk, Tom Wilson, on the first line. The thug antics haven't worked the last two years against the Penguins, and I don't think they'll work now. Although if Crosby breaks in half again and Kessel gets his eye gouged out and Crystal Tang punctures a spleen, I'll probably feel a little bit differently. I'm never going to dislike any franchise as much as I hate the Flyers. They stink. Their whole existence is a joke. They were the Broad Street bullies in the 1970s. Oh, look how tough we are. They tried to utilize the same tactics since then, and it hasn't won them anything. Washington? At least I think they try to play hockey the right way. Or at least they, at times, play hockey the right way. But they've also got a bunch of jags. TJ Oshie ain't no saint, although his wife's hot and he's a United States hero. Ovechkin's a Russian missile. He used to throw his body around all the time. Now it's not quite as much, but think back to 09 with what he did to Sergei Gonchuk. Tom Wilson's a spawn of Satan who wears hockey skates. Matt Niskanen's a super dink because he acts like a nice guy. He has all the right things to say, yet he's throwing knees and cross-checking dudes in the face. Matt Niskanen is the guy in high school that everyone's friends with and then he badmouths you behind your back. A total D-bag. Oh, I'm Matt Niskanen. Everyone loves me. The media loves me. I'm always saying the right things. And then always being on the ice when you're giving up goals. 
I'm not a fan of them. I'm not a fan of their hockey plays. Is Barry Trotz having his goon squad do this purposefully, or are they just frustrated by years of playoff failures against the Penguins? It's probably a little column A, and it's probably a little column B. They want to be physical, and then sometimes the frustration could boil over. But now it's incumbent upon the Penguins to make the frustration continue, but also make them pay. Not with vigilante justice. I can't stand that. Not with Jamie Alexiak spearing Tom Wilson in the eye. It's not going to happen with Alexiak taking liberties against any of the Capitals. It's just not the answer. That's not what the Penguins do. They are not the Broad Street Bullies. They don't have George LaRock. They don't have Ryan Reeves. They don't have Tom Sestito. That's not how they're built. They're built to score on you. They're built to play a finesse hockey game. They've got some guys who can rough you up, but that's not who they want or choose to be. So vigilante just is not the answer. Put them on the power play. Score on the power play. If you start going with the vigilante justice, the Capitals wind up being on the PP, and they're pretty good there. That gets the Penguins all caught up in Bilesma-era BS. Frustration far too often boiled over. Letting the dogs loose is just going to have the Penguins lose focus and have them focus perhaps on the wrong things. There's an old saying, at the risk of sounding a lot like Stan Saverin, the best revenge is living well. Well, the best revenge here is to score more goals and win four games. Washington can't break any skulls on the golf course. Retribution is best served by playing hockey. Now, we know the refs ain't calling junk. The officiating was atrocious on Sunday, and it was terrible last night in the Bruins-Lightning game, if you watched that. But they're going to call some stuff. And when they do, the Penguins have to make them pay. The Pens are 0 for 11 on their last 11 trips on the man advantage. This after having the best power play in franchise history and the best in the league this year. I think Malkin's going to play tonight. That's going to help things tremendously on the power play. Without Geno, it's been running through Phil Kessel, who just does not look right. Phil got hurt at the end of the regular season. I've been all over this before pretty much anybody else. He got whacked at the end of the Flyers series. He doesn't look like himself. And that looks like it's carried over big time to the power play, which stinks because he's the fulcrum when Malkin ain't around. He's had trouble handling passes. Nothing looks crisp. How about last year, and thanks to Jason Mackey for these statistics, Kessel had 23 5-on-5 shot attempts with 7 on goal. Last year, those numbers were 47 and 20, respectively. He's not even putting the puck on the net. That's not good. That's a problem. Back to the power play, though. With no threat of Malkin on the one-timer, the Caps are just jumping all over Kessel, taking away passing lanes, not letting him set things up. Tonight, that should change. If that changes, let's see if the Capitals keep getting away with all their garbage. The Penguins are far easier to root for than Washington. Yeah, I know. I grew up here. Whatever. Ovechkin's the dude who doesn't make the play when it matters most. It's hard to root for that guy. Crosby's the opposite. Crosby will kiss your baby. He'll shake your hand. He'll score a hat trick. And then he'll take out the disabled kid for ice cream after the game. Ovechkin might do the other stuff, but the hat trick's meaningless because they lost the game. The Pens want to score goals and play hockey. The Capitals are sneaky dirty. They want to score goals and take hostages. Jesse Marshall joins me in about 10 minutes on the show to discuss the strategy at play tonight and beyond and whether or not 
the Penguins should go all Paul Bunyan on the Caps. If they're not going to call it. Yesterday I said that I was disappointed that Sullivan, Crosby, and Latang were bitching and moaning publicly about some of the points of contention that came from Sunday's game. The more that I think about it, the more I get it. I'm going to go back on my take from yesterday. Crosby talked about Dumlin getting drilled in the Dome. He said Wilson's done it before. Latang said the same thing. Both players said, ah, yeah, sure, the league should take a look at it. And then Mike Sullivan said that the goal that was not, that actually was, did cross the goal line, 100%. I did not like the complaining. But it's all about the next call. The Penguins aren't going to crack skulls. The Penguins aren't going to go eye for an eye. The Penguins aren't going to try to take their pound of flesh. That's not who they are. They're hoping that the complaints, the bitching, the moaning, the things that get Sidney Crosby called Cindy all across the world are going to help them draw more penalties in Game 3. They're hoping that the officials in the league take notice of how badly they were boned in Game 2. Maybe the next one goes your way. Maybe you get one extra power play. It's not complaining to complain. It's complaining with an agenda. I can respect that, especially because it ended today. Mike Sullivan said today that his team is going to, quote, play hockey. That's not an interesting quote, but it means that they're done with the moaning. They're done with the complaining. They're done with all that. They played their gamesmanship hand, and now they're moving on. Rob Rossi from the Trib, he'll be joining us today at 520. We'll get his thoughts on the series and the way the Penguins have handled themselves and how the league's looking about the matchup. Steelers had a first-round grade on Terrell Edmonds. They're getting crushed for it. Still, today, Tuesday, there's a damn hockey game tonight, and yet the Steelers are still getting ripped on the interwebs about their draft. Here's the deal. NFL draft nerds don't have all the information. They don't. Jeremy Fowler from ESPN said today that he's talked to multiple executives that had Terrell Edmonds with a first-round grade, too. His tape this year wasn't great, according to these draft nerds. But that's why draft Nick nerd faces didn't think he should be a pick in the first round, because they didn't love the tape. But they also didn't have the medical info, and that's pretty damn important. With a bum shoulder, his tape wasn't going to be good. I don't know what's wrong with Phil Kessel, but he's not playing well. Why? Because he's hurt. Why wasn't Edmonds good this year? Because he's hurt. It matters. The, temp, the tape was great in 2016. The measurables, they're all there. Draft experts often talk about having all the answers, and really, they don't. They have tape, and they have sources, but teams have all that in spades. Not to mention, they get the combine medicals. Hmm! I've had it up to here with all the draft nerds. I have. I'm done with them. I get fed up with them on Tuesday after the draft every single year. I can't believe they reached. I can't believe they took him where they took him. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. Oh, my God, Baker Mayfield with pick number one. Oh, my. Shut the hell up. You don't know what you're talking about. You can watch the tape, but tape only tells part of the story. Jokes. Today's a big day in the sports radio world. Any day that I pop on the airwaves is, but... Mike Francesa's back at WFAN, baby. He's got his cheesy intro music. He's limping down the hallway. I don't know if he's got anything left. But I have seen, again, on the interwebs, a lot of people say, oh, 
WFAN did not handle this the right way. Oh, it was not fair what they did to Bart Scott and the other two jabronis who were hosting that show. Here's the reality. Francesa gets numbers. Francesa gets ratings. Francesa is the king of that damn town. He's the king of that damn time slot. And when he left, Bart Scott and the other two jabronis couldn't hold a candle to him. You know what I think about Francesa? I think he's a dweeb. I think he's a D-bag. People who think that they know everything, sure, that's the job, but it's not becoming. I don't like the guy, but I respect what he does, and I respect the numbers, and I understand that they weren't getting numbers with that signal, and they have for multiple decades. Who cares if their feelings got hurt? Who cares if they uprooted their families? It's a business. You need to have success to stay where you are. Frances has proven that he can have success. They have not. It's not the hardest thing in the world to crack open a microphone and give your opinions, but some can do it and some can't. They obviously can't. They're losing out to Michael freaking K. That guy is a tool. And if you lose out to the tool, what's that make you? That's why our ratings are up 700%. I am the tool. Coming up next, Jesse Marshall from The Athletic. Should the Penguins beat the snot out of the Washington Capitals tonight, or should they just play hockey? I think I know what his answer is. He'll tell you. It's the Crowley Show. Everyone likes to, you know, um, scrapbook. You scrapbook on the couch, the kitchen counter, and your favorite place to scrapbook, the bedroom. And what could possibly make scrapbooking any better? KY Duration. With KY Duration Spray, men everywhere are scrapbooking longer, and that's great for their partners who really enjoy scrapbooking too. So go ahead, scrapbook tonight with KY Duration Spray for men. Last longer, stay in the moment. Use as directed. Now, for the last time, Tom, I have not seen Infinity War. Serious? I still haven't. I haven't seen the other seventeen. Are you kidding me? If I haven't seen the seventeen okay. prequels, first of all, let me stop you right there. Yeah, there's twenty prequels. There's, right. Are you kidding there's me? Twenty of them. There's not right. enough time so in the why, world. How dare you disrespect? After we hear from Jesse Marshall. The show's going to have a little bit of an audible. Here's why. The Post-Gazette spoke to Ben Roethlisberger today. And he says he's going to play another three to five more years. Five? Three to five more years. What a petulant child Ben Roethlisberger is. I know he's won a lot around here. I know he's a great player. I've never had any problems with him personally. In fact, I kind of like the guy, but... A year ago, he was saying he's playing a year. A year ago, he was saying he might be done. And now they draft his replacement, and what's he say? Oh, it might be five years. I'm Ben Roethlisberger. He's such a jerk when it comes to these media interviews. He really is. It's all about Ben's agenda. We'll get to that coming up after Jesse Marshall. I've got plenty of things to say on all that. Jesse from The Athletic joins us now on the show. How are you, buddy? Good, Adam. How are you? I'm good, friend. Question. 
Should the Penguins go eye for an eye tonight and try to run Tom Wilson? Nah. Agreed. And if the answer was if the answer was yes, I'd tell you to do it. After, you know, if you're going to go eye for an eye, go after somebody valuable. I wouldn't refer to Tom Wilson as valuable in that regard. <laughs> I mean, you're almost you, you, he, the punishment for the Capitals is that he gets to continue to play. So uh, if you were going to exact revenge, you'd want to do it on T.J. Oshie or Nicholas Backstrom. But uh, Mike Sullivan's not having any of that. Really, the players aren't either. Um, every year they just seem to get more businesslike in their approach. And I don't know how you not like that after what happened in, you know, against the Flyers all those years ago and some of the meltdowns we've seen this team have. Um, the, Mike Sullivan has them completely, as, as, I think, as dialed in as I've ever seen them. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think you continue that approach. Uh, there's no need to go after that guy. There's no need to... Go after his teammates. If it happens, it happens. If you're out there over the course of a game and you got a chance to put a shot on him uh, that's within the legal limits of the game, fine, absolutely, make him pay. But don't do anything out of the realm of what we've seen them do these last couple of years. Because the last thing you want to do is put Washington on the power play. On the flip side, the Penguins' power play has been bad uh, the last four games. They are 0 for their last 11, but... If you're going to make Washington pay, that's the way to do it, I think. Uh, get a couple of power plays, score on those, and make them have second thoughts about running around. Well, Adam, you mentioned you know having the opportunity to take a crack at Tom Wilson legally and, and, and getting taking those chances when you get them. Uh, playing him that way is going to force him to take penalties. Um, right. You know, first as tough as he wants to play, uh, I don't know that he's all that adept at uh, taking it. Uh, and I think that some of the Capitals, you know, over the course of the first two games, I think even a guy like Evgeny Kuznetsov has gotten frustrated by the Penguin speed, and he's taken a couple penalties as a result. So, um, yeah, to your point, I think that's it. I think that, you know, if Evgeny Malkin does play tonight, I think it's going to be a, a huge boost to the Penguins' power play. They've really missed having an elite shot in his spot, um, you know, and not to take anything away from anyone that's trying to fill in for him. That's a tough job. Uh, and Evgeny Malkin can fire those one-timers from those near boards uh, with the best of them. And just knowing that he's there uh, is something you have to respect if you're a penalty killer. I mean, not having that element has bothered the Penguins, and I think that, uh, um, you know, Washington, they, they give away a lot of lanes and not a lot of shot, uh, shooting opportunities. I think the Penguins have been a little too happy to take the lane sometimes. Um, they got to find a way to get rubber on Braden Holby. Uh, that's how they came back and ended up winning game one. And the more shots they can get on net with the main advantage, the better off they're going to be. And, Mike Sullivan uh, really reiterated that and said as much uh, uh, today before the game. He did. Jesse Marshall of The Athletic joins us here on the Crowley Show. Phil Kessel just doesn't look right to me. Uh, we've been talking about this for a while. I thought he got hurt at the end of the regular season. These last couple of games have not been great for Phil. Uh, did not look good on the power play, and he was really the fulcrum there, uh, as you mentioned. He's just not getting the puck on net. And why is the question? I think part of the problem, Adam, is something that's been symptomatic of the Penguins as a whole through the first two games is that they are not elongating their shifts in the offensive zone enough. So I think they've been so far through the first two games, I think they've been one and done a little too many times. Um, And Washington's a heavy team. Washington's made it really hard for the Penguins to even get out of their own zone tape to tape. Uh, That's just the kind of pressure they, they bring. And the way they play the game, Adam, seems to take away all of the easy plays. You know, you're, you're in trouble. You want to chip it off the wall. You want to bank it off the boards. Uh, it's not there. Uh, there's, there's a body there. Um, and, and the Washington's really jamming those easy lanes up. Uh, I think they're doing that at both ends of the ice. And for a guy like Phil Kessel, uh, you know, th- those, those you know, b- you know, blitzes into the offensive zone where he rips a high-quality shot off are great. 
Uh, you'd ideally like to set him up in a position where you can maintain possession of the puck for 30 to 45 seconds and have him do that three or four times as opposed to just one. If Dumoulin doesn't play tonight, that's not good. I think he's got a pretty good chance of playing, but you never know uh, whenever you're dealing with a head injury. Uh, I think Haglund's probably the most unlikely guy of the three uh, to play tonight. Uh, if there is no Dumoulin, uh, what do you think that they do with the pairs? And uh, if it is Dumoulin, then, well, you really dodged a bullet there. I think he's going to play. Um, he took a normal workload at practice today that was indicative of somebody that's going to come into the lineup. Um, you know, if he doesn't play at him now, you've got a real issue because somebody's probably going to end up playing on the wrong side. And the question is whether you want that to be Jamie Alexiak or Matt Hunwick. Uh, Matt Hunwick hasn't played really at all uh, over the course of the last three or four weeks, and I don't like his speed uh, against that what Washington is bringing. Um, so I, I, I think the Penguins really did dodge a bullet. Uh, I think that Brian Dumoulin is going to be a go tonight, and um, nobody – I think the point, I think, you know, there's been times, Adam, where people haven't appreciated what Brian Dumoulin does. It's very, you know, it's not on the marquee, right? The jobs that he does, the things that he's good at, you don't sit in the car and talk about him after the game's over. Um, but, you know, experiencing life without him for a little bit is a, a nice reality check just in terms of what it is that he does. The minutes he can take uh, and, the, and the impact he has on your team, especially at even strength. What have you thought of Chris Letang's game uh, in the playoffs thus far, and what have you liked and disliked about his play in the Washington series? I, I maybe uh, eye test here, Adam. I'll throw that at you, but I think I think he's had a little bit of a cleaner game. Um, there was a the pinching game. It was the second game he pinched in. Um, you know, not the first goal that Kuznetsov scored 17 seconds in. I believe it was the second goal um, where he, he had. There was a bad pinch. He shouldn't have been up ice where he was and. Um, he kind of got turned around and, and the Capitals scored as a result, but I can't really think of other monumental errors that he's made. I think his recovery ability has been really important. And what I mean by that is when things go awry and the Penguins start chasing around uh, and they seem to be struggling to man mark, uh, Latang's been a little bit of an anchor in that sense. So I, I would like to see him skate it a little bit more. Uh, and a minute ago, Adam, we talked about that pressure that the Capitals do bring. The best way to get around that is just to just to go and take the initiative uh, as a defenseman and start the rush by yourself and let the forwards catch up with you. Uh, I think a little bit of, you know, for as aggressive as the Penguins have been in pinching in the offensive zone, I think they've left a little bit on the table with taking that, that extra initiative and getting the puck out uh, and turning defense into offense uh, and letting the defenseman lead the charge in that rush. So uh, I think he's been good. I think he's been better than he was against Philadelphia. I still think there's a little bit left that he can give. Uh, to get his game back to what it was uh, two years ago. Would you imagine that, not with Latang, but with everything else you just said there, that that's been the point of emphasis as the series shifts back to Pittsburgh with the, the Washington forecheck? It's kind of the same way last year. So in a way, I'm not surprised. I, I did think that this Penguin team was different, uh, just some of the depth that they had, some of the, the trades that they made. Uh, I think they got a little bit, of, a little bit younger and a little bit quicker uh, and I thought they might be able to, to, to skate with Washington a little bit more. Um, I, I think they look their best when the game opens up a little bit. Um, Washington's been a little bit will, a little bit too willing probably to give them that. Uh, but that's, that's the way Washington wins games. Uh, the reason that the Penguins beat them last year, Adam, is because they withstood most of that and, and, and punched off the counter uh, and ended up getting a knockout as a result. Um, so I, I think the, the good thing about the Penguins coming back 
to PPG Paints Arena uh, is they love to dictate the pace at home. They love to crank it up a couple notches, uh, and they seem to just play faster at home. Uh, I think that's that's true of a lot of NHL teams that have a lot of skill, and, and tonight might be the night the Capitals really get roped into that, uh, and, and that, that could be a cause for concern for Braden Holpe. Secondary scoring's been something that's been talked about a lot since the game on Sunday. I think that the Penguins have more secondary scoring once Malkin flexes back into the lineup. Shahin slides down. They jumble the lines a little bit. I think that is going to help them. As for Washington, they've basically been a one-line team this series in terms of the production. I don't know how much that's going to change. I like their top six, but their bottom six... Well, I don't, I don't see anybody flexing into their lineup that's going to make it better, unless, of course, uh, Burakovsky were to join the unit, and that doesn't look like it's going to happen. I, I was shocked. I think the, the one thing that's taken me by surprise so far, Adam, is you think about that Penguin second line without Evgeny Malkin, and, and you know that T.J. Oshie unit with Nicholas Backstrom on that second line for a while there was really the the thing that made the, the whole thing work for Washington at even strength. That line was just so difficult to deal with. Uh, and the Penguins handled it really well in the absence of getting Malkin. I think I'd give a credit to Riley Shane for that and what he does at both ends of the rink in his 200-foot game. But um, now you now the question is, is if you get Evgeny Malkin back and he looks pretty good, uh, do you maybe think about throwing him against that Alex Ovechkin mm-hmm. line and trying Sidney Crosby out against Nicholas Backstrom? And that's not to say Crosby hasn't been good uh, offensively, uh, I think that, that as a whole, the Penguins have struggled to deal with that Ovechkin line a little bit, uh, and, and it's definitely given them a handful in terms of the transition, especially in the neutral zone. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Mike Sullivan does. I have a feeling nothing's going to change, uh, but, it, but you might see some tinkering there as, as this evening moves on if, if Malkin sh- it does indeed play and shows some signs of life early. The fourth line, Jesse. Woof. Woof. I don't even like have Buzz's, a question. Like Buzz's girlfriend from Home Alone. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I'm glad this is over with. <laughs> no disrespect to Carter Rowney. He just looks like a fish out of water down there. Um, and, and I think it has affected the, the way that line works as a whole. Because Tom Kunakel, I do like what he does from a penalty-killing perspective, Adam. And he is a tough guy to play against. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the world. Uh, doesn't have a lot of flash or skill in really any facet of his game. But... Um, he, he can take minutes in the playoffs and you're comfortable with it. Uh, I think that Zach Aston Reese has really been the one that's majorly suffered uh, from that fourth line uh, with uh, Carter Rowney at center. Uh, Riley Shea and Zach Aston Reese had a little bit of something going at times uh, where they could, they could elongate a few offensive zone possessions. But you got to realize in game one, the fourth line didn't even attempt a shot on goal. Adam didn't even attempt one. Now forget, forget registering a shot. How does it just start with trying to shoot? Uh, and in the second game, uh, they, they, they registered their, their first shot attempt of the series, you know, a couple seconds in, uh, and then, but, you know, spent the majority of the rest of the evening in their defensive zone again. So, uh, I, I know Mike Sullivan is deploying them as if he's confident in them. That, I don't think the way he's using them has changed, uh, but there's just a lot to be desired, uh, from that unit as currently constructed. And I, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the trickle down effect of Guinea Malkin really does help there. How do you view Derek Broussard's game uh, so far in this series and what he's been able to bring to the table in the playoffs? If I've learned anything, Adam, from being on Twitter in the last 24 hours, <laughs> it's that people really want Derek Broussard to do nothing but score goals. And if he plays great defense and he takes teams to task, uh, dominating the, the shot share and the puck possession share and, and generating a ton of scoring chances, nobody cares. 
Um, that's been the, the drum I've been beating really on Derek Broussard all week long. I, I don't dislike what he's doing. Uh, this is a respect the process conversation for me. Um, I, I don't know that traditionally Dan, Derek Broussard has been a, you know, quote unquote, um, uh, streaky scorer by any means. Um, but everything else but the goals is there, Adam. So, I mean, is he, is he not being productive? Yes. Uh, is, is what's going on behind the scenes been very good? Also, yes. So I think it's just a matter of time. One goes in, Adam. That's all it takes for these guys sometimes. You get one, and then the dam bursts open, uh, and all hell breaks loose. So I've been, I've been fine with him. I know that one thing he's adjusting to, and one thing he talked to the athletic about is adjusting to having less minutes than he's used to. Maybe that's uh, something that, to take into consideration here. But, uh, but overall, if he keeps doing the things he's doing, the goals are going to come. Jesse, Dominic Simone is a guy who's had some chances, without a doubt. It looks like he's going to be on the second line with Brian Rust and Evgeny Malkin tonight if they go by what they did in practice. What do you think about that? I think that Dominic Simone, give him credit for one thing, Adam, it's been being in the right place at the right time. Uh, he's had about as many glorious scoring chances in this series as anybody has. He has plenty of them away yet. Um, that, for me, is what I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, I love what Connor Cheery has done in the series. I know he hasn't, uh, you know, he's not lighting the, the, the scoreboard up either, uh, but his motor has been there. Uh, and, and I think that if you see Dominic Simone have a couple more of those opportunities on, on the front door that he can't put away, uh, I, I think Mike Sullivan might give some thought to, to bumping him down to that third line and giving Connor Cheery a shot up there. Um, you got to have somebody to convert those chances. Um, and we've been saying that about a lot of players in the Penguins, but Simone. Uh, he's been finding them. Just got to start converting them. Jesse, really appreciate the time, man. Thank you for that time, and we'll talk again soon. I hope. Thanks. I hope I got another, you know, at least three to five years in me. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, there he goes, Jesse Marshall from the Athletic. Nailed it. Brought it right around, and that's exactly where we're going next. We'll be talking hockey all day. But. Ben Roethlisberger says he's playing three to five more years. Why does Ben have to make everything so damn difficult? That's the last thing you want from a quarterback. And now, actually, it's starting to creep into Tom Brady's sensibilities as well. We'll talk about all that when we return. It's the Crowley Show. time my friend every single week during the Steelers season there was drama 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 like young and the restless anthem controversies Gatorade coolers being chucked suspensions and trade requests all kind of issues with this football team Ben Roethlisberger always says something controversial when he's talking to crook and phony and now he's said something controversial to Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He says, after being told that Mason Rudolph thinks he's going to be Ben's successor, quote, well, that's fine, he can do that, but I plan on playing for three to five more years depending on how the line goes and staying healthy if I can stay healthy. If he's going to be their guy, that's great. But in my perfect world, it's not going to be for a while. End quote. Couple questions. Here's the first one. You think he's going to mentor this kid at all? I know I don't. Later on in the piece, 
Ben says he hasn't even talked to Mason Rudolph yet. Wouldn't you think the first thing that would happen is the quarterback calls you and says, hey, man, can't wait to see you in the room. I wonder if he did that for Dobbs last year. Might have done it for Dobbs. Dobbs wasn't a threat. Dobbs wasn't a threat. I don't care if my girlfriend talks to my fat friend. I don't care. It gives zero bleeps about that. But when the chiseled dude with the sleeve and the sweet-ass beard starts chirping in her ear, eh, you might want to stay away from him. Uh, don't hang out with the hot guy. And that's exactly what Ben Roethlisberger's doing here. There's zero chance he's a great mentor for this young man. It ain't going to happen. But Ben's got to realize, and maybe he does, that words have actions and consequences. And if he wants to be a crybaby in this instance, all you got to do is trace it back to when Ben Roethlisberger said on Crook and Phony, ah, this might be it for me. This might be the last you'll ever see of Ben Roethlisberger playing football again. When you say you're thinking about retiring after losing in the AFC Championship game, a year later, people are going to be surprised when you say, oh, I could play five more years. You shouldn't be surprised that they draft the guy that might be your successor. Ben Roethlisberger has no reason to be irritated here. Now, from a Steelers perspective, is it maybe the best thing possible for Ben Roethlisberger to be irked? Ben says, you know what? I'm going to play five more years just because he's petulant. I was going to play three. Now I'm going to play five. I don't want that Rudolph kid playing quarterback. Maybe that's the best thing for the Steelers. They draft this kid. It gets Ben all in a tizzy. Ben starts working a little bit harder. Ben starts not throwing five interceptions in games against Jacksonville. And maybe the Steelers are better off for it. I don't see a downside in Mason Rudolph being here. Not one. Zero. No downside. It can spur Ben on. He could be Ben's heir apparent. He could be the cheap backup. Here's what bothers me maybe most of all this, though. Ben says he's going to play three to five more years. The Steelers just drafted a quarterback that they had a first-round grade on, and Ben's contract's only through 2019. Yeah, I'm going to play three to five more years. Oh, are you? You haven't put pen to paper, dude. Might want to wait till there's some ink there. Might want to wait till you've had the contract extension. I get a little tired of Ben Roethlisberger. He's a great player. A great player. I still think he's the best that the Steelers organizations ever have. Sorry, Blonde Bomber. I think he's that good. Two more Super Bowls or not, he's that good. But everyone wants to talk like Antonio Brown's the world's biggest diva. Everyone wants to rip Martavis Bryant for being quote-unquote selfish. Well, both those words describe number seven, diva and selfish. Ben Roethlisberger is the biggest diva on the team. Forget about Antonio Brown. It's Big Ben. Big Ben's the diva. Big Ben's the one who needs everything to go precisely his way. Big Ben's the guy who prior to the Ben Ro- or the Mike Tomlin press conference every Tuesday needs to set his own narrative. Ben sets the narrative because he can't. Imagine somebody else doing it. That is diva behavior. That is the last thing you want from your quarterback. You want your quarterback to be mundane and boring and a nerd. You don't want your quarterback to be flashy and pompous and selfish. 
You want your quarterback to be all in on whatever makes the football team better. And Ben Roethlisberger's a winner. He's a competitor. He does a lot of things to help the team put some check marks in the win column. He does. But Ben Roethlisberger also does some things and says some things that make you want to jump out of a window if you're like me. Ben Roethlisberger is also selfish. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't understand that the best thing that he could have said there for there not to be distraction is, I can't wait to work with this young man. I don't know how many more years left are in this body. I've taken some shots over my career. Let's see how he looks in the meeting room. That's all you got to say. That's all you got to do. The biggest issue with this team, in a lot of people's eyes, wasn't the defense. It wasn't Ben Roethlisberger's propensity to make mistakes. A lot of people think that the biggest issue on this football team is that they've got way too much drama. And the front office agrees. Where's Mike Mitchell? Remind me. Oh, not here. Where's Martavis Bryant? With all the other distractions in Oakland. Where's James Harrison? Not here. Why? Because they were all distractions. And when you've got players like that, the narrative can so easily be spun around them. The Steelers lost to the Jags. Because why? Because Mike Mitchell was talking crap and looking ahead. Mike Tomlin gets criticized for being a cheerleader because anything can happen in his locker room. Anything. Well, it's also Ben's locker room. And if you ain't one of the people not creating distraction, then you are the distraction. Ben Roethlisberger had an opportunity to quell an earlier incident this year when Antonio Brown threw the Gatorade cooler, and instead Ben Roethlisberger doused the flames with lighter fluid. Uh, Heath Miller was a great teammate. Yeah, Heath Miller also didn't catch 150 balls a year. People are going to be different. Ben didn't do anything to quell it. Ben Roethlisberger, I don't think, handled the Martavis Bryant situation all that well. Martavis said, yeah, he never really reached out to me after the beginning. And as the leader, as the quarterback, you've got to be that guy. You've got to put your feelings aside. Ben Roethlisberger's failing to put his feelings aside right now. A year ago, Ben might not be coming back. Now, when the quarterback gets drafted, he might play five more years. Who's the biggest diva on the Steelers? That's the question. Let's boil it all down to a question here. 412-922-2874. Who's the biggest diva on this football team? Is it A.B.? Is it Lev, the rapper? Or is it Ben? Because the other two get a lot of hate. And I'm telling you what, Ben Roethlisberger has done some things on this team that have been just as detrimental to the locker room culture as both those guys. 412-922-2874, your thoughts on Ben's comments, your thoughts on who the biggest diva in the Steelers organization is. You can hit me up on Twitter as well, at underscore Adam Crowley. It's time to get fucked up with some of the best damn hockey talk on the planet. You go to the box, you know, uh, you feel shame, you know. And then you get free. This is the 5-Minute Major with Adam Crowley.
The Penguins have scored 32 goals this postseason, and only 11 have been by the bottom nine forwards. Not bottom six, bottom nine. 17 of the goals have been scored by the Crosby line. Last year, bottom nine forwards accounted for 60% of the Penguins' goals. This year, it's 34%. But you don't need to tell any of these guys the offense needs to diversify a bit. Here's why I think it'll get better. Gensel, Crosby, and Hornquist will play in the top line. You know what you're getting there. Malkin comes back. That changes a few things. Broussard then gets to go back on that third line with Phil Kessel and Connor Sherry. And Riley Shahan gets to play alongside Tom Kuhnhockel and Zach Aston Reese. Aston Reese and Shahan are good players. Kuhnhockel's just a guy. But if Carter Rowney's going to be a guy next to the guy, that's when you've got problems. I think it all gets fixed tonight. And I think that's bad news for Washington because they're not getting any help in their bottom six. And their top line has been the line that's carrying them thus far in the playoffs. Ovechkin has had a good series. One and one. Scored a couple of goals. But he could be having a monster series. The Penguins need to do a better job locking down on him. Missed a goal wide left in game one. And was robbed by Murray on Sunday on a shot that he probably should have just slid across the ice. Ovechkin plays this little game called, I'm going to shoot it as hard as I can every time, and let's see if it hits the net. If he took a little off, he'd have four goals this series, and maybe, just maybe, Washington's up 2-0 instead of it being tied back in Pittsburgh at 1-1. If I'm Tom Wilson, I'm going to keep running, dudes. There's absolutely no reason for me not to try to break people's heads. Why wouldn't he? Apart from the Penguins torching them on the power play, and they haven't done that. Where's your morality lie? How many things would you do if you knew you'd get away with it? Would you cheat on your wife? Uh, did you steal stuff from the grocery store? I wouldn't do either of those things. But would you? I think you might. Where's your limit? Tom Wilson knows what he's doing is wrong, but he's going to keep doing it anyway. Because they're not punishing him. If a child keeps stealing cookies and you don't put them in timeout, they're going to get fat because they keep eating cookies. There's a Ben Roethlisberger analogy in there, too. Coming up next, Katie O was on the DVE Morning Show today. We will grade her performance. Your thoughts on Ben Roethlisberger and I have got a lot more for good old number seven. Rob Rossi at 520. It's the Crowley Show.